Hello and welcome to a time of edification with Caruso Ministry. Get ready to be edified and equipped to edify others. Ready? Let's begin. We are on the eleventh strand of tongues by the Spirit. Um, so far, so good. We have looked into primarily the activity of the Spirit of God in the Old Testament and in the four Gospels, Jesus' commentary on the Spirit of God. We have also seen the relationship between the Spirit of God and salvation. All right, and salvation. All right. And so last week we did some major emphasis on the things of the Spirit and how they work by design. And that the believer's primary instruction in walking the things of the spirit, as you see, for example, in First Corinthians 14 and verse 39, right, as you see in First uh, Corinthians also 14 and verse 1, is to desire it. All right, is to desire it, to covet, is to covet the things of the spirit. All right, so that you can see. I said that the word desire was there. It's the Greek word zelo, which means to burn with zeal. It's actually not saying that just sit down and let you and let you want to know. It's a zeal that makes you want to do something. All right, so you are so it's not a passive word, it's not passive. You see, desire is not passive. When we see desire a lot of times, is you look at something in your mind, you're like, Ah, what a desire to you. No, that's not this. It's not the kind of admiration you have with a crush. No, that's not what it is. Desiring, as in Bible terms, with the word with the Greek word zelu there, actually means to burn with passion for something. So it's a kind of passion that makes you do something. So desire is more akin to okay, so if you have maybe you really like a car and then you begin to save up for that car, so that you can actually get it. So it actually it's it causes you to do something, and that's what some people need to know about the spirit. If you really desire it, it's gonna cause you to do something, it's gonna cause you to do. For example, you can desire to, for example, um, you can desire the gift of healing, for example, and not look for the sick. It's counterintuitive, it's just it just doesn't make any sense. For example, desire to speak in tongues and keep your mouth closed. It doesn't make any sense. Do you understand? So it works with desire. And desire is a desire, a burning passion that causes you to do something. Right? So that's by the way. Uh, and so we're going to um, continue the exposition of 1 Corinthians 12. And today, um, today I'm just going to do a bit of an exposition on the earlier part of 1 Corinthians 12 as regards the gifts of the spirit, all right, as you can have the gift of the spirit, just to have more insight into it, all right, so but let's start from verse 1 again, I know, I know I already explained first Corinthians 12 from verse 1 and 3 last week, but I'm going to explain, I'm going to do you know, just a over a view of it again, and then we'll move on to verse 4, so it says, how concerning spiritual gifts, I will not have you be ignorant, all right, tell that the word ignorant there, I won't always refer to being oblivious of it, because the Corinthian church were in fact a church that was given to the things of the spirit, because Paul commanded, commanded them. For example, in First Corinthians chapter one, from verse four to seven. All right, um, Paul, you know, says, "I, um, I thank God for the grace of God that bestowed upon you." Right, and then he speaks about how they are enriched by you in all utterance and knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gifts. All right, eagerly waiting for the coming of our Lord. And so he says there that they actually, as the church, came behind in no gifts. Yes, yes, he says, now concerning the things of the Spirit, I would not have you ignorance. So what that means is ignorance would always be that you are oblivious of what the gifts of the Spirit are, or you are oblivious of the operations. Rather, ignorance could refer to an improper knowledge, or false knowledge, or incomplete information. So ignorance could refer to them having incomplete information, or it could refer to them having the wrong knowledge about something. And when I said this last week, I'm going to say this again, that a lot of times it is harder 
to teach something to somebody who has wrong knowledge or false knowledge and somebody who has no knowledge at all. Because the person who has false knowledge often thinks he knows. Often they're not thinks he knows. He thinks he knows the answer. But then that's by the way. Let's move on. Now we say in verse 2 that you know that you were Gentiles. So he's talking about your previous state. He says you were Gentiles, carried away onto these dumb idols, even as you were led. All right. Now look at what he says in verse 3. He says, No man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no man can say that Jesus is Lord about the Holy Ghost. And we did quite some study into this to understand what he means by saying, No man can say Jesus is Lord about the Holy Ghost. We saw that, you know, the phrase or the word Jesus is Lord. It's not just some random phrase that you put at the end of a Christian baptism. No. Rather, Jesus is Lord is actually a declaration of the Lordship of Jesus, which he gained upon the resurrection. All right? So we spoke about the Lordship of Jesus, which he gained upon the resurrection. We look at references like Philippians, for example, Philippians 2, verse 5. Right? When you talk about let this um, mind be in you. But uh, particularly when it gets to verse 9, all right, and it says that... Uh, and, and he has exalted him and given him a name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every nation bow of things on earth, things in heaven, and things on the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. So, Jesus being Lord is a function of his resurrection from the dead. For the fact that he conquered death and hell by his resurrection from the dead, he now became Lord over all, over all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Hallelujah. All right. And so we see that Jesus being Lord is a declaration that he has or he became upon the resurrection. We see the same thing in Acts 2. Acts 2, all right, and verse 36. And it says, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So as a reason of them crucifying him and him being raised from the dead by God. That was God's declaration of him as the Lord and as Christ. So him being Lord is a declaration, right, of what happened in the resurrection of Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. And you also see also in Romans 10, Romans 10, from verse 8 to 10, that the declaration of sonship really is what the gospel is. You know, it says from verse 8, for what does he say, where is nigh thee, even in thy heart and in thy mouth, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt believe in thy heart the Lord Jesus and confess with thy mouth that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Since my spirit is getting distracted, don't be. All right, let me just continue. Uh, Romans 10 from 8. Uh, what does he say, where is nigh thee, even in thy heart and in thy mouth, that is the word of faith which we preach? If thou shalt believe in thy heart the Lord Jesus, confess with thy mouth that God has raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. All right. Now it goes on. He says, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made of salvation. Now pay attention to what he says. He says that you believe in your heart, if you um believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, confess with your mouth that God has raised him from the dead. And I told you guys before that the word confess is the Greek word of homologio, which means to speak the same thing again, or to say the same thing again, or to say the same thing twice. So a confession is not you just, people think confession is just saying something. No. Confession is saying something again. Homo is saying, from homology, from homo and logos. Logos can refer to something that is said, something that is thought and intent, so on and so forth. Homo means the same thing. All right? And so homology means saying the same thing. 
And so what is the same thing you are confessing? The same thing you said in your heart. If you believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, and you confess with your mouth that God has raised him from the dead. So meaning, God raising Jesus from the dead is the same thing as he being Lord. So when he says, if you believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, confess the same thing. What is the same thing? That God raised him from the dead. So the fact is that God raised Jesus from the dead is the same thing as him being Lord. The same thing as him being Lord. And so in other words, by believing, so in, in presence of it, what you confess, what you believe. So it's not two steps to salvation. People need to realize it. It's not first believing, then confessing. No. Rather, confession is the outward show of what you believe. You are still really by just believing. Really, that's what it is. By the grace of God that brings salvation is a pain of woman. Remember, um, uh, Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith. Through faith, not by believing. For by grace you are saved through faith. All right, so you believe to be saved, that's what it is. You don't believe then confess to be saved, no, you believe to be saved. All right, however, the confession is you saying that which is in your heart, that's really what it is. All right, but pay attention that in fact, you can't be saved. All right, Paul is there speaking about the gospel that saves a man. All right, and he goes from verse 3 to verse 4, he says, How that Christ died for us according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. And Paul calls that to be the gospel, that the gospel is a message of the death. Is a message of the burial, is a message of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And those three things are all encapsulated in the message of the gospel that gets humanity. Simple. So, in other words, the message of the gospel is actually that Jesus is Lord. That's it. Because if the message of the gospel is that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again the third day, what it simply means is that the message of the gospel is that Jesus is Lord. Because he became Lord upon the resurrection from the dead. Simple. So the method of the gospel is Jesus is Lord. So when a man believes that Jesus is Lord, he is saved. How? Why? Because what does he believe when he believes Jesus is Lord? He actually believes that Jesus Christ died, was buried, was raised from the dead. And by the resurrection from the dead, God has given him authority over all things, which is his lordship. So Jesus is Lord is actually a message. Jesus is Lord is not just a phrase. It's an entire message. It's the message of the gospel. That's what Jesus is Lord is. But now pay attention to something, all right? You know, we've done in our study so far on um, tongues by the Spirit. One of the things that we have seen is that the first activity of the Spirit of God in the heart of a man is to cause the man to be saved. We saw that already. That the first activity of the Spirit of God in the heart of a man is to cause the man to be saved. And so that's really why, I mean, when we look at scriptures in the epistles, we realize that what often happens when the man is saved, or is not what often. What always happens when the man is saved is that he receives the Spirit of God. For example, Ephesians 1 and verse 13. Ephesians 1 and verse 13. Go there. Ephesians 1 and verse 13. It says, In him also, whom also after that you heard the word of truth. He says, The gospel of your salvation, whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The which is what? Which is the earnest of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. So he says, When you believe the word of truth, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the sealing of the Holy Spirit of promise follows your what? Follows your hearing and believing the word of truth. Because you believe the word of truth, you are filled with the Spirit. You see the same thing also, something just like that in Romans 8 and verse 9. Romans 8 and verse 9, it says, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you, he says, Now, if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is none of you. He is none of you. So if you have Christ, you have to have the Spirit. If any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, it's not of God, simple. It's not of God, simple. In fact, it is by the Spirit that I've told you before that you know that you're a son of God. Romans 8 and verse 16 tells you that. Galatians 6 tells you that. 
your sonship is that you have the Holy Ghost. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're not a child of God, you're not a son of God. It's that simple. Alright? And so I said, oh, that's just make you know that at the end of the day, alright, the primary activity or the first activity of the Spirit in the heart of a man. Now, notice I said the first activity of the Spirit is through a man. Because the Spirit of God can come upon a man and he does things. The Spirit of God, for example, came upon Elijah and he ran faster than the chariots. Alright? The Spirit of God, in fact, came upon a donkey and they don't spoke. So, the Spirit of God can come upon something as an activity. However, the first activity of the Spirit in the heart of a man is actually salvation. Because that is how, you know, such a person is brought to life from the dead. That's how such a person is brought to life from the dead. By the activity of the Spirit within his heart. By the activity of the Spirit within his heart. Hallelujah. So, I just said I would like to just let you know that when he says, no man can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. He's just saying, no man can be saved by the Holy Ghost. No man can declare the message of the gospel but by the Holy Ghost. In other words, when man receives the message of the gospel, what we actually see is the power of the Holy Ghost working upon his heart. That is the reason he can actually believe and receive such a message. Without the activity of the Spirit, he cannot. And this is why I always say this. That you see, the preaching of the gospel, all right, is a demonstration of the Spirit. I don't know what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. You pay attention. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, when Paul says, My speech and my preaching were not with the entire of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In other words, when I speak for the gospel, the gospel in itself is the flow of power and it's the flow of the Spirit. I am giving expression to the Spirit of God when I speak for the message. And so, that same message is able to bring a man from spiritual death into spiritual life as for salvation, but it's also able to quicken dead things in a man's body. It's still the same power, and it's still the same message. But as I put forth that message, it's a supply of the Spirit. And so, what Paul was just doing, there was letting him say, you know, you know what, if you are saved, you have the Spirit. And so, the conversation of the things of the Spirit applies to everybody. That's why I said the last week. I said that when you talk about the things of the spirit, what you're actually seeing is the things of the believer spirit, the things of my spirit. And it's very important for you to personalize it like that because it then begins to change your perspective towards you know the gifts of the spirit. So the gifts of the spirit are not some esoteric things that are far away from you and that you have to touch God to access. No, no, the things of the spirit are the things that are made available to your spirit. Because you have the Spirit of God. And Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 17 that he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. So the things of the Spirit, all right, actually things of your spirit, things of the believer spirit, things of the spirit of the man who has believed the gospel. That's simply what it is. It's that thing. All right. So let's move on. Now pay attention to verse 4. Now, and this is why you have to learn to read in context. Paul has already laid some very important foundation from verse 4 to verse 3. And this is how you need to enter the next verse. He now says in verse 4, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Now, the word diversity is there. It's the Greek of diaresis. It means, it means, it's the word I use for distribution. It's the word that is used for dividing. But really, what the word diaresis means, let me just give you an idea. It's, imagine you had, um, uh, uh, I think the best, Example for this would be a tangerine, right? A tangerine, and then you know the way tangerines are. You 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 know you pick up the 
um, back of the entire tangerine, and then it has portions. And then you begin to take out those portions and begin to give, give it to different people, right? Now, really, you did not, everything you give them was still from single tangerine. It's not multiple tangerines, it's one simple tangerine, but you just removed out of it and gave it to different people. So those parts are what you would call the dividend. That is the distribution from one tangerine. And that is the way it is with the things of the spirit. He says there are differences. When he says differences, he actually wasn't referring to uh, different kinds. No. And that's why people get this wrong. The word dialysis there actually refers to distribution from one. Distribution from one, actually. So he wasn't really talking about how separate the gifts are. No. He was trying to explain to you that even though the gifts look separate, they are from one source. There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Now, don't forget, this same spirit is talking about here. It's the same spirit that made you confess that Jesus is God. Don't forget. So I have to let you know there are diversities of gifts, but within the same spirit that dwells in you. That's it. There are diversities of gifts, but within the same spirit that dwells in you. So at the end of the day, we have been able to see that all these diversities are from the spirit. What that means is that those diversities are actually present in you because you have the spirit. The problem with most believers is that they see the gift outside the spirit. Or at least they see the gift with the spirit outside the believer. And that's the problem. Because for you to even talk about the spirit, you must refer to his dwelling in the believer. That's the context here. So you must not see the believers, the spirit as um, extraneous from the believer. No, it is actually the spirit of God in the believer. And those diversities are present within the spirit, which is present within the believer, and those diversities are present within the believer. Simple. Now let's continue. It says, and there are differences of administration for the same Lord. Differences of administration. Now the word difference is there. It's still the same word diaries, actually. Meaning different but from the same code. But notice that it says different administration. Now the word administration is there. In some versions, you find that the word is for ministry, all right, or different services. Now the word administration is not the word that means diaconia. It means ministry, it means service. Let me just say that with service. You see, and, and you see, people have um, misunderstood that word ministry for some time, all right? You know, they oftentimes, when they hear ministry, what comes to their heart? Somebody who stands on the pulpit holding the mic and stuff like that. But really, ministry is service. Any form of meeting the need of saints in the church is, is ministry. Simple, actually. That's really what it is. It's ministry. All right? Any form of meeting needs within the church is ministry. And so it says there are differences, all right, different, different portions from one whole of meeting needs within the church. Pay attention to that. Meeting needs within the church, but the same Lord. Meaning, at the end of the day, it is still all Jesus at the center of it all. The same Lord. Different ways of meeting needs. What it actually lets you know is that Jesus actually wants needs to be met in church. Because it is there are differences of administration, of needs being met, of ministry. Don't, now, let me say this. When you hear ministry, normally your mind will automatically go to ministry deep. Don't do that to yourself. No, don't do that. Ministry is not ministry. No. 
It is they are called ministry gifts because they are gifts to equip believers in their ministry. So there is actually ministry, and then there is ministry gifts. Ministry gifts are the fivefold, of course, the fivefold ministry gifts: pastors, apostles, um, pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, prophets. You understand me? Those ones are in their place. However, when you speak of ministry, you are actually referring to service within the church, needs being met within the church. That's what should come to your mind. So when you look at that, all right. You then realize when that there are differences of administration for the same Lord. What is trying to let you know is that from the same Lord, you have dividings, all right, of needs being met with both the same Lord. Meaning, Jesus actually wants needs to be met in different ways in the church. It is his will. And this is very important because we're going to get somewhere very, very soon, all right. And you see why this particular verse is important. Now, let's move on to the next verse. He says, and there are diversities of operations. Now, this is where it gets very, very interesting. He says there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. Now, we've seen what the word diversity is, so we're not going to go there again. Right? But what operations there is the Greek word energima. E-N-E-R-G-E-M-E. Energima. All right? And it means to work in. It's an active word. It works like the word energy, energy, workings, workings. So when he says there are diversities of operations, he says there are diversities of workings, diversities of activities, all right? But notice he now says, but it is the same God which works all in all. All in all. I've told you guys this before, that whenever you see the word all used in scripture, don't just assume what it is used for. The word all was always used in context. All does not just refer to all. All was always in context. Let's look at some things. Go to Philippians chapter 4. For example, Philippians chapter 4. Glory to God. Philippians 4. Look at verse 13. Philippians 4 and verse 13. Open the Bible there. Philippians 4 and verse 13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now, you say now that the word all there just refers to. If you say that the word all there just refers to doing all things, you know, you know, some people will call that verse to talk about what it is, example, I cannot pay because I can do all things through Christ that changes me, or so on and so forth. I want to jump, or you want to jump down from a particular um, um, duty. See, I cannot, I cannot think happen to me. I can do all things through Christ that changes me. Well, you'll kill yourself, actually, because that's not what it's referring to. Now, let's read in context. Start from verse 11. Start from verse 11. Now, look at what he says in verse 11. He says, Not that I speak in respect of ones. In verse 11, not I speak in respect of ones, but I have learned in whatsoever I am, in whatsoever state I am, there is to be confident. Verse 12. I know both how to be abased. Pay attention to that. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer. And so what he's saying, in whatever state I am, whether there is much, whether there is little, I'm okay, I'm content. All right. And this is why I always tell you that and I always tell you guys that contentment does not always refer to not having enough. Contentment can also mean having so much, but choosing not to see yourself in what you have. That's contentment. People think contentment is always I think mean, people always preach contentment and people that don't have enough. Every single time. Every single time people that preach contentment and people that they don't have enough, you know. So we believe that contentment is just, you know, getting by by the day. That's a very big lie. No. Contentment can mean that you have so much. 
Containers can mean you have so much, so much money. However, you do not see yourself in the light of what you have. You don't, you don't measure your life by your money. That's really what contentment is about. But by the way, let's continue. Now, look at what he now says. So he says, I know how to have and abound. All right. Everyone in all things, I'm a shorter both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer. He now says, I can do all things. So Christ that strengthens. So Christ that strengthens me. What are the all things you can do? To abuse and to abound. Simple. I can, when I have a lot, I can, I'm okay with that. When I have little, I'm also okay with that as well. Whatever, in whatever scenario I am, I'm good to go. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. So the all things there will refer to what? Abasing and abounding. Simple. So all things will just refer to all things. Say, ah, because I'm in Christ, I can do all things. I can pass the chemistry exam without reading. Ah, no, you fail. You fail heavy. I can do all things. I can do a surgery. Without being trained to be a surgeon, you kill somebody and you'll be in prison with your Holy Ghost. Is that simple? All right. Look at another example. Go to First Corinthians the two. First Corinthians chapter. Okay, actually chapter three. First Corinthians three and verse twenty-one. Verse twenty-one. First Corinthians three and verse twenty-one. First Corinthians three and verse twenty-one. It says, "Therefore, let no man glory in men. All things are yours." Says, "Let no man glory in men. For all things are yours." Then somebody now reads that verse. Brethren, you can see at the Bible says that all things are yours. And so for that reason, I want you to, get to claim all your blessings. Say all things are mine. All things are mine. That car is mine. That house is mine. First of all, it cannot make any sense. All things cannot be yours because all things cannot be yours because they are, they are other believers too. So if all things are yours, what about other believers? What about their own things too? Are they yours too? Then what is their own thing so that all things are yours? Just like it just doesn't make any sense. Okay, so when he says all things are yours, you have to learn to pay attention to what he is saying in scripture. And now look at this, look at from verse uh without time. I'm just gonna just explain what it is there. We don't have so much time to read through. But, but the point of it really was in the church, there was dissension between themselves. All right, they were divided. Some said I'm a Paul, some said I'm a Peter, some said I'm a Apollos, and some people said, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm you know. Uh, I'm of Christ. I'm not even of anybody. I'm of Christ. You know, people like that say, "Oh, this pastors can say, what is pastors?" No, no. I'm of Christ. I'm of Jesus. I'm learning from Jesus. You are not okay. Jesus cannot be your pastor. Jesus was the one who ordained pastors in the church. You ordained the office of pastors in the church. So you can't be wiser than him. Jesus cannot be your pastor. It's not possible. He can only be your savior, all right, and he can be the chief shepherd. But then he can he appoints a shepherd over you, who watches over your soul. That's simply what it is. Right, but that by the way, okay. Um, so we're talking about the dissension within the church, all right. So they were divided like that, and so what Paul was trying to make them see was that see, there is no point for dividing yourself in the church, all right. At the end of the day, all these people are ministered for you that you can receive from, and that's really the way it is. You see, in the body of Christ, one of the things that you must learn, and you, I mean, you will learn it as you grow older, you minister, is that see, God has men everywhere. Ah. Oh, God has God has men everywhere. Just like Elijah, you might be thinking you're the only one who has not bowed down to, you know, well, not bowed down to bow. Or to realize that God has reserved, you know, a good number of prophets. Reserved them that they've not at all defined themselves, they've not defined themselves at all. So God has men anywhere and everywhere. I'm telling you. And this way you begin to learn as you grow older. You, be, you begin to understand that in as much as I have one man. Or one person that God has placed over me in the Lord to train me, to disciple me, the Lord to teach me God's word. I also have, there are also men in every place that I must respect and revere. And that's something you need to realize. All right. 
And I, I, I think it's where people get it wrong. All right. You don't need to follow a mass following. You don't. You, you generally you cannot follow every person. You, you will kill yourself. You actually can't. You can't follow everybody. But you must not disregard the labor of everybody. So there are men, for example, that you don't follow, but you respect, you respect, you revere, you honor their, you know, the grace of God upon their life, you honor their labor, you work of ministry, but you don't follow them. And that's what it is. And that's what Paul was saying here. Paul was actually saying that, see, you have to learn to receive every minister for the point that they have God. All are yours, and that's the truth. There are times when I was ministered to by men of God that I do I don't follow. I don't, I just you know, randomly, I might just listen to their sermons one time and they speak something that regards what I'm going to that particular point in time. That's just what it is. Because they are men of God, they are men used by God. But that doesn't now mean I follow them more. No, I don't. And so you can have people that are blessing you, a lot of people who are, you know, helping you get better and so on and so forth. But there's just one person that you have in the Lord, who is your, your father. There's one person really who's over you in the Lord. Whatever happens the way. Okay. So now look at that first Corinthians 3 now, all right, and verse 21. He says, Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. So, can you see the point of the statement? Don't glory in any man, for all things are yours. Now, look at what he says in the next verse. He says, Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, can you see that? Or, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. He says, All are yours. You are Christ. Christ is God. So, can you see? All are yours is not that. All are yours is not company. It's not company shares. All my sister, you find. <laughs> oh God. You now want to lay hold upon a sister by the Spirit of God. And no, God cannot do that. That's demon possession. You say, sister, ah, but this all are mine, so you are mine too. No, she can also decide to say, or another brother to who is that sister can now say, both you and the sister, all are all are yours. So both of you are mine. Then everyone is now confused. All right. Clearly, that's not what he was saying. By context, he knew what exactly he was saying. Right, and I just did this study to just make you realize that when you see the word all in scripture, you must always pay attention to the context of usage to know what exactly it's doing. So back to first Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. Thank you, Lord. First Corinthians 12. Amen. Now, verse verse 6. He says, and the advantage of operations, and we said the word operations there, the word energy man means which means working. So I'm not going to put that place with me. There are diversities of workings and the of activities, right? He says, but this um, but it's God, it is the same God which worketh all in all. And this is where you have to pay attention. Because you see, this is actually what gives context to this entire chapter. You know, I told you when we first in last week, I think, when we said. Corinthians 12 and verse 1. I told you that the real context of First Corinthians 12 is actually not no, that's not it. If you think it is gifts, you got this wrong. No, the real context of First Corinthians 12 is how gifts can meet needs in the church. That was really because you need to understand Paul actually wrote this book because he was addressing certain matters in the church. And that reason, after he was done with First Corinthians 12, don't forget after he ended first Corinthians 12 by saying, you know, desire the best gift or the most profitable gift. He then goes to verse 13 and begins to talk about love. Love. Why do you think he's talking about love? Edification in the church. Edification that the things of the spirit must be inspired by love. All right. Now he said in first Corinthians 12 and verse, he said, desire the best gifts. 
Yes, I will show you a more excellent way. And it goes on to the next chapter, verse 13, and shows the excellent way. What's that most excellent way? Love. That being of the Spirit must come from a place of love. Why? So that other believers can be edified. So when you're doing your spirit, you're not doing it because you want to show. You do them in the church because there are needs to be met. And this is actually where people get this wrong about the things of the spirit. People think the things of the spirit are like a badge that you add up to your shoulder. That's the reason why they never see. You must understand that the things of the spirit work with needs being met. The things of the spirit are not for your preservation, they are for needs to be met. This explains why, for example, Jesus, who is able to turn um, five loaves of bread and two fish together for 5,000 people, refuses to turn stone for him, stone to bread for himself. Because at the end of the day, the things of the Spirit are not there for you to feel good. They're not there for you to have a good life, for you to have a sweet life. They can profit you, however, they are not primarily for you. They are for needs to be met in the church. So for needs to be met by other believers. It's that's simply what it is. And so a lot of people, the reason they want to have word of knowledge is not that they can they can predict the stock market. They can know when a particular stock will go up, so they can invest. Or they can know when a stock will go down and they will invest. That is the reason why you really never see. Because that was never the point for the things of the spirit. Now, does this mean that you can you you it's possible? Does this mean that it's not possible to know the stock market? It's very possible. I've told you guys that before that for the for to determine how to do something with the things of the spirit doesn't mean the things of the spirit cannot do it. And so, just as I said before, we, we can decide that we don't want to use the things of the spirit to be predicting football matches. We don't get this wrong. We can actually know by the spirit what the score is going to be. And I mean, for example, if tonight, man, you already knew that this is what this match is going to be, probably they'll have never played. Only God knows. But that's by the way. Let's continue. So, I was trying to say basically that when it comes to the things of the spirit, all right, there is no limit really. We can decide to say, oh, these are not for this, so we're not going to do them. But it doesn't mean that the things of the spirit are not limited, that they cannot do such things. Okay? And so I was trying to say basically that the things of the spirit are needs driven. And when I say needs driven, I mean needs of other people. So love is what inspires you to meet those needs by other people and not your own preservation. So you don't try to get the gift of healing, for example, because you know you because you, you want to you don't want to take your health seriously and you want to always live the supernatural. Health, so you get the gift of healing. No, that's what the point actually. Do you realize that despite the fact that the apostles had the gift of healing, we are never really told of places where they prayed for themselves. Whenever we saw the gift of healing displayed, it was always from them to other people. Why? Because that is God's plan for the church. People meet needs. One person needs the need of another. That is how God has destined the church to work. Simple. So it's not for yourself. And those people get it wrong because a lot of times you're praying, ah, God, give me your word of knowledge. Give me this one. Give me that one. Bro, you don't get it. It is not for you. Because the question is, okay, if you get it now, fill up That's my one. Number two, how will you even know that you've gotten it? If you never really try to use it for somebody. For example, how do you know? For example, that you can give a word of knowledge if you never actually pray for somebody. So at the end of the day, you even if let's agree that is at the point when you pray for it that God gave you, you will never really know that you already have it unless you walk up to somebody and pray for them. Unless you decide that you want to pray for a particular brother, for a particular sister, and then you get the word of knowledge for that brother. So it lets you know that at the end of the day, the things of the spirit are needs driven, needs of other people to meet their needs. That's what the things of the spirit are. So let's continue. Hallelujah. All right. Uh, 
So there's six. And the diversities of operations of working, I've said that before, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. So by context, we already said all we already said that all must be seen in context. So you won't just say God works all in all. No, no, no. What is that all in all that he works? Yeah, we already said in the previous verse. First of all, it says the diversities of gifts for the same spirits. So we already said again the diversities of um administrations or ministries or means of meeting needs in the church. But the same Lord. He now goes on to the largest and says, the advantage of operations, but it is the same God which works all in all. Works all in all how? Works all the gifts in all of the ministries. I'm going to come again. Again, he says there are diversities of gifts for the same spirits. He talks about gifts. Let me know all those gifts are from the same spirit. Now, let me also add this about gifts. The word gifts there is the Greek word charisma. It's the Greek word charisma. Now, it's a word that doesn't just refer to gift, like just the way we see gift. Actually, it's a word that refers to a supernatural endowment, meaning it's a faculty. So it's not like a parcel. It's all one that people need to know. In the case of the spirit, it's a parcel. Like it's not, um, it's not a parcel that you collect and you put on the shelf. No. It's actually a supernatural faculty that is given over to you for you to use. So it is actually, like it is an endowment. That's the best word to use. You bestow an endowment on somebody. So when you talk about the gifts of the spirit, it actually defines to an innermost faculty working within you. So it is a working of it's just like the way you have eyes that can see naturally. That's the way the things of the spirit are. They are actually active things within the believer. That's how you must see them. So it says there are there are diversities of gifts, the same spirit, differences of needs to be met, or of different ways of meeting needs in church. But the same law. Now, but do you know that in order to meet a need, you will have to use the gifts of the spirit to meet those needs? So the way you do ministry, pay attention, or the way the administrations actually work is by supply of the gift. I'm going to come again so I don't confuse you. Again, he says differences, the value of gifts for the same spirit. I don't think we need to spend so much on time on that. But okay. Yes, ministry. What does ministry mean? To serve, to meet a need. That's what it means. But do you know that in this context, the way you'll be able to meet a need in the church is by you using those gifts that you had already spoken about that in the spirit. So, for example, if I want to, if, for example, I see a sick person and I pray for the sick person in the church, I pray for the sick person and the, sick, and the person gets healed. What I just did there was to supply towards the person. Now, what I did there was ministry because I met a need. There was a need to be met. The person is sick. I pray for that person and then the person becomes healed. Now, that means a need. That's ministry. However, I was able to do that ministry by the working of the gift. So, so this is where it gets interesting. You need to understand, the context of First Corinthians 12 is not just gift. It is actually the working of gift through ministry to meet needs. When you see that as a whole, it begins to change your perspective towards anything in the first Corinthians. Because we're going to get the variation. But let's go on. So now, as, so like the example I gave before, you see somebody who has a need in the church, you meet that need. When you meet that need, what you just did is ministry. But according to this context, you did that ministry through the agency of God. So now, when he says in verse uh, 6, 
There are diversities of operations, of workings. Can you see that? Workings. But it is the same God that works all the gifts in all the ministries, in all the means to meet needs. Now, let me also say this. The word all there is the Greek word pass. Now, the word pass can mean all. It's the word actually all. But here is where it gets interesting. It could either mean all individually or all collectively. Now, let me explain where that comes from. If you, in a, let's say, for example, you say, in a class, you say, all of you should eat your breakfast. All of you eat your breakfast. You know, what, what you would expect um, that to mean is that every single person in the class, each of them, takes maybe bread and I don't know whatever, whatever it is. But each of them have their breakfast and they eat it. But what you said was all of you eat your breakfast. But you know what they said? That we say all of you produce a class capital. They cannot each of them collectively produce one class captain each. They will come together and then produce one class captain. In those two cases, you still use the word all. But the content can either be collective or individual. I'm going to come again. The word all, which is pass, which means all actually, can either be individually or collectively. In other words, pay attention. I when I say all of you eat your breakfast in class. All of you eat your breakfast. All of you eat your breakfast. Now, what that could what actually means is each and every one of them will bring up their breakfast from their lunch pack or whatever and then eat it. But when I say all of you produce a class captain, what now when all of you produce a class captain, it won't be like breakfast time. Each of them will not have like one person will not produce one class captain, one person produce one class captain, one person produce no, no, no. It will be all of them come together and then produce one class captain. In the two cases, it was still all, but the means of expression of the all was different. In one case, the all was collective. In another case, the all was individual. Why did I say that? When he says it is the same God which works all in all, by your understanding of how needs are met in the church, you must not begin to think what kind of all is saying. In other words, it is the same God that works all the gifts pay attention collectively in all of the ministries individually. How? When you meet the need, when it is healing, whatever, or whatever need has to be met, you as a supplier can actually flow in any of the gifts. Actually, any. Because don't forget, it is based on... Do you realize? And I, 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 remember, I said this to someone. I said, I don't know why this is hard for people to get. Do you notice that for every time when there was a need to be met in the book of Acts, we never hear of any time when people wanted to meet that need, but they said, ah, there's nobody among us that can do this thing. There was never a time. There was never a time in the church when there was a sick person and people said, ah, no, none, of, none of us have the gift of healing right now. Let's go and call somebody who has. There was never a time in the church when a word of knowledge was needed. And people said, ah, he, assuming this person was around, he would have given a word of knowledge. You know, what we notice in the church is that for every time when there was a need, there was a concomitant supply of that need immediately. Why? Because you see, at the end of the day, eh, the way God works, when there is a need, there will always be somebody who is able to meet that need there. If the need is not met, it won't be because somebody cannot. It will be because they don't know they can't. Also, they don't know they can't. 
Not that they actually can't. So that's how you need to understand the way needs are met within the church. There was a time in the church, pay attention to this, and you might struggle to find out. You can do your search by yourself. There was never a time in the church where they prayed for the things of the Spirit. Never. After the gifts of the Spirit. There was never a single time they prayed in the church that God would give them a particular gift. Never. Never. Yet they were separations. Why? Because you don't ask for the gifts of the Spirit to have the gifts of it. It's a gift. It's simple English. It's a gift. If you have to ask for it, it's no longer a gift. What a gift? A gift is a gift. A gift is, a gift is something you give to somebody for free. Free. You don't ask to get a gift. If you ask, then that's a that's an answer. That's a payment. That's a reward. But if I give you without you asking, then that's a gift. It's that simple. It's just simple English, really. All right. But now, pay attention to what we said to our progression of so far. In the church, needs have to be met. How do you so when you meet a need? What is that called? Ministry. In this context, this need now is not need of money, because that's why context always depends what you are saying. It's not need of ah, um, I need food. You gave me food. Now that was also good, but that's not the need we are talking about here. In, in this place, what we are talking about by context is needs that have to be met supernaturally, needs that have to be met by the Spirit. So when you meet a need in the church, that is ministry that you just did there. That is you meeting a need, you being of service to somebody. That is ministry. How do you go about that ministry through gifts? In some cases, it's a word of knowledge. In some other cases, it might be a word of knowledge and need and healing is at the same time. I mean, we've had a lot of cases where a lot of times where I give a word of knowledge about a particular person's case, and then I pray for the person to become healed and the person becomes healed. So, in, so don't just always look at it as ministry always has to be just one gift. No, it, it can be, it can be simultaneously a, a number of gifts. For example, there are times when you give it like you speak in tongues. As you spoke in tongues, you get an interpretation of what you said in tongues, and that interpretation is actually a word of knowledge. And then through that word of knowledge, you then give a word of wisdom to that person. And through that word of wisdom, you then pray for a particular situation, and the situation gets you know gets resolved. Which is a working of me. So, in that particular operation of you meeting a need, you've done tongues, you've done interpretation of tongues, you've done knowledge, you've done word of wisdom, and you've done a working of me. Five gifts in just one expression, in just one meeting a need. So, don't always see a meeting a need as one gift. No, you are meeting a need, and this is this is why the the the, the power of God is beautiful. Listen, when the power of God flows, everything that needs to be done. Will be done. And this is the reason why I, want, I don't want you to be so keen on which gifts you do. Don't, don't think so much about what gift. Think about this is a need to be met. We have to meet the need. Once you think that way, any gifts that is necessary for that need to be met will be met. It's that simple. So the problem with most people is that they are putting the cards before the horse. They are thinking more about the gifts. So they are thinking more about do I have word of knowledge? Do I have healing? Do I have this new? Well, that's okay. Let's even say you have the gift of healing. How do you know that you have the gift of healing? There's no sick person to pray for. What actually makes the gift of healing the gift of healing? Like, what makes us know that there is a gift of healing is actually the fact that you pray for the sick and the sick got healed. So, in the real sense, what defines the truth or the gifts of the spirit really is the need that they meet. Really, what it's about. It's not the gifts in itself. But the problem with us most of the time is that we idolize the gifts more than the need. 
So in the real sense, what gives the, the what gives the gift essence is the ministry. What gives it essence? What gives it essence is the need that you are missing within the church. Really, what this? So at the end of the day, pay attention to this. Every gift of the spirits that is expressed within the church is simply a supply of the spirits in a particular direction. It's simply a supply of the spirits to meet needs. That's simply what it is. You are not supplying the spirits in a particular direction for needs to be met. But that supply of the spirits can now come out in different ways based on what you're trying to meet. And the reason why, for example, you find out you can be laying hands on people, all right, without knowing what exactly it is you are laying hands on them for. And you lay hands on you lay hands on one person, the person receives healing, you lay hands on another person, and the person receives maybe a supernatural supply, all right, receive the testimony supernaturally. Lay hands on another person, and the person begins to see a vision. Different operations, but it was still the same laying on the hands. Why? Because when you laid your hands, all you supplied was the spirit. But based on the need, a particular gift is now expressed. So don't be so keen on the gift. Be much more keen on supplying the spirit. If you supply the spirit, whatever gifts needs to be expressed so that that need can be met will be expressed. So your question should not be, ah, she, she, healing him, she, healing him. I'll be working on miracle. I believe, I believe. Mm -mm. That's not it. You are getting it wrong. Your question should be, what needs are there to meet? I want to supply the spirit towards that need. If uh, when I supply the spirit, whatever gift is needed for that need to be met will come forth, will show up on the scene. So don't be so triggered about word of knowledge, word of wisdom, or this one or that one. Don't do that. Don't stress yourself. I think the reason why believers are deep down in frustration because what we actually should be teaching believers to do is for them to go out and meet needs. Not to sit down inside each other and not be praying, God, give me this one, give me that. Let people say it gives you. How will you know you have it? Let people see all the truth. It is when you pray that, okay, let's say you prayed and then you get an alert on your phone. Total, um, um, word of knowledge has been credited to your hands. Okay, now you know that you have word of knowledge. So what? The way it actually becomes of significance that you have it is that you go out. And then you get the word of knowledge. Because I think the way we all see gifts of spirits is that you might have the gift of word of knowledge. Wherever you are, you don't be knowing things about people. It doesn't work like that. You won't just be knowing things about people randomly. God doesn't work like that. There are information that you're just going to consume. But don't let me go too far into that. All right. It's not just you just be knowing. No, you have to be intentional about using that need. All right. Using that gift spirit to meet the need. And this is the reason why, for example, even though Jesus raised people from the dead. Not everybody that died in those days rose up from the dead. No. For the gift of the Spirit to be used, it has to be intentional from the giver to the receiver. It's that simple. So that's the reason why even if you did have the gift, like you've been asking, it really won't matter in the grand scheme of things because you won't do anything with it. So what matters more is that you find yourself around where you need this to be met and then you supply the Spirit. Once you supply the Spirit, Whatever need is there that requires the activity of the spirit will then cause the gifts to follow. So if I'm in a particular place now, and what the person needs is a word of knowledge, all right, or a working of miracle or whatever, I don't need to be so keen on what they need. Because what that also does is it puts unnecessary pressure on you as the believer. No, the work is on the spirit. Your own, your own work is to supply the spirit. When you supply the spirit, Whatever need is necessary for that person will come forth. Sorry, whatever gift is necessary to meet that need will come forth. 
But all you have to do is to supply the spirit. Is to supply the spirit. So let's round up on this. All right. We'll continue next week. But let me just say everything I've said so far. All right. First of all, that when we talk about the gifts of the spirit, why not referring to pastors that you put on a particular desk? No. We're referring to supernatural faculties, all right, or supernatural enablements that become active in you. That's number one. We also said that there are, when we say diversity, we don't mean differences necessarily. We actually primarily refer to different, different workings but from one spirit. And we said, don't forget that the whole context of what Paul had been saying before was that this spirit is present in the believer. So when he says differences of the gift, he actually referring to gifts within the spirit of the believer. So if the spirit is in the believer and the gifts are in the spirit, then the gifts are in the believer. We saw that. We now moved on to say that when he says difference of administration for the same law, it means that there are different ways by which needs can be met in the church. You know, that's really what difference of administrations mean. Different ways needs can be met in the church because administration refers to ministry. So there are different ways needs can be met in the church, but it is the same Lord. It is the same Jesus, meaning it is still all about Jesus at the end of the day. But that Jesus who it is all about actually wants needs to be met in the church. Now, let's now move on. He now says, but and there are diversities of operation. There are diversities of workings, diversities of activities. And what are those activities? He says it is the same God that works all in all. What is the working of all? What all of the gifts? In all of the ministries, meaning in the ministries which are means of meeting needs, we see gifts expressed. So at the end of the day, if you want to see a gift expressed, your concern should be about doing the ministry, trying to meet a need. In you trying to meet a need, a gift will be expressed. What most believers do is first of all look for the gifts, then want to do ministry afterward, and that's why they get it wrong because really. The operation of the gifts is meant to be in ministry. In other words, you are only meant to see the gifts in operation when you are actually meeting a need. And not for you to first of all see the gifts in operation, then go and meet the need. No, you are meant to try to meet the need by the Spirit. And because you want to meet that need, a gift shows forth because of the need to be met. So, he wraps up by saying, there are diversities of operations or there are diversities of workings, but it is the same God that works all of those gifts in all of those ministries. Why? Because God wants needs to be met in church. Much more importantly, he wants needs to be met by the Spirit in the church. Very interestingly, he wants those needs to be met by the Spirit through the men that have the Spirit in the church. And how will those things happen? By them supplying the Spirit, which is the ministry by them ministering the spirit to others. And in their ministering of the spirit to others, what will happen? We will see expression of gifts. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. You see, let me tell you something. Eh? This is actually how I became a lot more effective with the flow of the things of the spirit. It's simply this. You don't need to understand it. And to understand that there is no barrier to any gift. So God is not holding any gift from you. You don't even need to care so much about a gift. You should be more interested in meeting needs. If you are interested in meeting needs, gifts will follow. So you might not even be thinking about working a miracle or whatever. But if you need to work a miracle, you will work a miracle. It's that simple. So you shouldn't be, you know, doing so much asking which gifts you have. Is it this one gift? Is it that one gift? No. 
It should rather be what, how will this need be met by the Spirit? By you supplying the Spirit to that person, particular gifts will show up. And this is actually how you will now become much more effective in playing the things of the Spirit. That's simple. Nobody who gives a word of knowledge really ever wants to give it. Like, they don't say, it's word of knowledge I'm going to give now. No. Most of the time, they don't pray for the person. And then the word of knowledge comes forth. Why? Because it's a word of knowledge that is required to meet that need at a particular point in time. It's just that simple. All right? And so I trust God that, I mean, as we spend more time, we're going to continue from here next week. As we spend more time studying the word. I spend more time looking into things a lot more clearly. All right? We'll have our questions concerning these things answered. And it will cause us to be a lot more effective in the demonstration of the things of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. We're sure that it was an amazing time. For questions and inquiries, reach out to us at carysoul.mini at gmail.com. We call you blessed.